I would rather spring right into it with that, but I got to give you an intro. So my name is Mark, born and raised in Southern California, came to Tyler, Texas in 1980 because of Pine Cove, uh, went back to California, went to Bible school at Calvary Chapel Bible School, met my wife, Marsha. Uh, God miraculously opened her eyes to my beauty, and um, as a result of that, she came with me back to Texas. Uh, we got engaged, got married, had a couple of kids, and just before we were going to move back to California, we get a phone call from Richard Longenecker, a long time ago member, who said, uh, we want you guys to work with our junior high kids. Great. So we moved into town, and we have embraced and been embraced by this body of believers um, that have guided and instructed and formulated our life over the course of time and sprung us into life, and that continues even today. So, there, and by the way, there's a couple of things um, that I've got to bring to your attention because they might be a little distracting. The first is, this is a plastic eye over here. So to tell you the truth, no matter where I'm looking, if I'm looking down or up, it's always looking at you, okay? <laughs> so just letting you know. And by the way, full disclosure, um, though I really enjoy uh, God's word, God's people, getting up early in the morning and just spending that God time, right? Um, my humanity uh, comes upon me all the time. And just really ask my wife. She'll tell you because she loves telling me. She really and one more thing, one more thing. Because I am not seminary trained in what I'm doing right now in preaching, I'm, I know I'm going to break all the rules. Okay, right now I'm just going to tell you I'm going to break all the rules. Okay? So let's get a little naughty. <laughs> all right. So this has been entitled Peace Instability. By the way, sorry, but my physiological um, components of my body are actually starting to reveal themselves. So if you see me shaking up here, sweating, just know it's out of my control. <laughs> All right? Peace and stability. Our passage today will speak of spiritual wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, critical components for the stability in an unstable world. So what are we supposed to know? So there's a lot of information coming our way these days. Political, social, a lot of unrest. However, Information we get, we tend to send through a filter, and that filter gives us an understanding that we connect with and respond to. Consider your filter. 
the filter that Paul is giving us, this filter that we're sending our thoughts through is Christ. The supremacy of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. God's love is sufficient. God's provision is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Remember when Paul said, Lord, take this thorn from my side. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. Oh, God, take this thorn from me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul's response is, well, I will glory all the more in my weakness. For when I am weak, I am strong. If Christ is not sufficient, what are you left with? You. Because if Jesus Christ is not enough, the question is left to you. And Eric brought this up, I think, our very first sermon. How can you have peace with God and have everlasting life? Lord, we thank you for your word, the clarity of your word. We thank you for the security of your presence. We thank you for the work of your spirit in each of us. Open our heart, Lord. Let us take this moment now and rest in you. I pray, Lord, that you are glorified. So in 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us that there is a time coming when we will know as we are known. And right now we don't. We see us through a glass dimly. So that leaves an opening for us to choose what we know. The world, the flesh, the devil are all vying for your attention. George Barna is the founder of the Barna Group, a market research firm specializing in studying the religious beliefs and behaviors of Americans and the intersection of faith and culture. His studies show that four out of ten pastors in the pulpit today do not have a biblical worldview. The world is really quite influential. It's even pressing in on the pulpit. We see as through a glass dimly. But in contrast, Jesus knew. He didn't have an existential crisis with every conflict he was faith faced with. Why? Because he knew who he was and he knew the heart of the issue. Knowing who you are and the heart of the issue is where Paul lives and what he conveys to the church in so many different ways. To those in Athens in Acts 17, he says, in him we live, move, and have our being. Now, see right there, I could stop and live in that place for the rest of my life. It's simple. The garden was simple in Genesis 2. God instructed, God empowered, and Adam cared for and continued to create. The whole of the garden was for their enjoyment. Save one thing. But there was an interruption, and the interruption was the heart of man. An interruption brought by the enemy. And what did that little snake say? Has God said? A question that created tension, uncertainty, and distraction. And when we don't know, we tend to freeze with indecision. There are many Christians today frozen in indecision. 
With all of the information, we are being given information that may sound plausible, all of which put your mind in pause, attention, a confusion. So what does a Christian in this time and space need most to combat the various ideologies coming their way and send them back into life with conviction and purpose? Maturity, spiritual wisdom, and full assurance of understanding. So in 1 John, he describes the world, and it's, it's, this is perfect. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Fascinating. That drives us right back to Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Oh, what this world comes up with. Life is where we live. A world full of people. A world full of people who have a freedom to think about life. A world full of delightful fruit. People will always have something to say. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11, Paul was giving a description of the Antichrist and those deceived by him. This is intriguing. The coming of the lawless one is by activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they may believe what is false. Interesting. And those delusional people tend to bump into us on a regular basis. An interruption, attention, uncertainty, distraction. In Psalm 73, Asaph was the director of music, the temple worship, during the period of King David. And he has a wonderful description of the world and how he wrestles with what he sees. He says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not troubled as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues stretch through the earth. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. See, Asaph was captured by what he saw. He saw the reality of the world around him. And he says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocence. And when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. How they have, or how you have destroyed in a, min in a moment, swept away utterly by terror. So why would believers be so captivated by the world? What do they really have to offer? Look at this. 
fear and delusion. That's it. So here's the big idea. We've got the big idea. The world does what the world does. Consider Paul's thinking. That's great, man. I just, this amazing technology today. So Paul's thinking in 2 Corinthians 6, 4 to 10, and this is just, this is amazing what this guy, what came against him and how he deals with it. Check this out. The world did what the world does in Paul's life, but Paul did what Paul does in Paul's life. How? He says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by endurance in affliction, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Those are all, they're actually all plural, (laughs) if you notice that. The world does what the world does in Paul's life, but Paul does what Paul does by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Bam! But I'm not dealing with that. I, I deal with political ideologies that stop me in my tracks, confuse me, destructive to those I love and are, be, are, and are destroying my family. And that's in this time and space right now the destructive ideologies that are destroying my family. Paul is creating something in the heart of the Colossians. He is creating a stability. Life does what life does. If you and I are unaware, we won't live life with intention. Life is a distraction, and distractions are neither good or bad. They are just a part of life. The question is, how does God use distractions in your life? On one side, how you perceive God's hand within the circumstances in life is entirely up to you. Your perception does not control what God is doing in your life, but can you shut your eyes to what God is doing and wants to do in your life? The formula for maturity is quite simple. It's experience plus time plus awareness. And you can choose to be unaware of the world around you. You can easily be swept into the patterns of the world. Any dead fish can float downstream. The question is, or the question we wake up to every day is, has God said? So, what is Paul creating in the heart of the Colossians? Awareness and understanding and stability. Three points to deal with a world that does what it does. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, verse 7, or 1 through 7, 
And they are fellowship and unity, knowledge and understanding. In 2.6, Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Walk. You won't walk in what you know without understanding. So Paul's prayer, and that's all connected to Paul's prayer, and desire is to present everyone mature in Christ. So beloved, by the way, I always wanted to say that. Beloved, turn with me to the book of Colossians. So now you understand the prayer that comes from Colossians 1.9, in the very first, first chapter, that they may be filled with the knowledge of God, with uh, knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Epaphras, the minister to the Colossian church, brought news to Paul while he was in chains in Rome of dangerous ideologies spreading into the church. Paul writes this letter to encourage the believers to stand firm in what they are and what they already have embraced. In chapter 1, we see that they are, or who they are and whose they are. In Christ is foundational because that becomes our identity. So the very first chapter, we really looked at who these people are in Christ. A child of God, union with Christ, restored relationship with God. The promises of God are yes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 Now there's an incredible confidence that comes from knowing who you are. Arnold Schwarzenegger, in his heyday, he wrote a book. I read the book in my teens. And he said that every bar I go to, I become the life of the party. He said, because I know I can take every guy in that bar. What would open up in relationship when there is nothing to prove. See, Arnold didn't have anything to prove. He knew. Nothing to protect. That is a very approachable person. A father children run to. A husband wives feel secure in. Our redemption, our restoration, our forgiveness, our hope of eternal life, it's all in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. The discovery of who you are in Christ will spring you into life. In Christ, God becomes personal, relational. In Christ, you will recognize the needs of your soul are met. You are satisfied and fulfilled. However, and this is key, the world is a trigger. We live in the trigger. There is a war in Galatians 5.17 for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Darn it. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Don't let that which you bump into every day define you. Jesus breaks through the chaos to refocus our attention on the beauty of the eternal in the midst of the temporal. I have not given you a spirit of fear, 
but of power, love, and of sound mind. Matthew, that's sobriety for you. We live who we are. We move toward that which we value. So in chapter 1, Paul opens our eyes to who we are and whose we are. So let's move to chapter 1, verse 28, that springs us into chapter 2. In verse 28, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Doesn't that, okay, that connects to Ephesians 4, right? In verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Wow, I love that. His energy that he works powerfully in me. Remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in you, both to will and do. And then... By God's grace, I am who I am. This is Paul. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but God's grace in me. You see? I think that's 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Because who is this all about? Do you guys get it? This is not about you. This is totally about God. God is doing in you for a purpose because this world is just bumping into us and God is bumping into you. Colossians 2.1. Right, let's get into it. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So what does this speak to you about the heart of Paul? This is a man that's not physically seen these people. He says, how great a struggle I have for you. But remember in, first, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. See the correlation? Concern brings prayer, brings concern. That's exactly right. There was a couple of people in our congregation that came over, um, email, Mark Gilmore, Shay, Connell, Connell, both dealing with physical ailments and problems and difficulties, surgery. And so in my, in my God time, that naturally brought me to a place of concern and therefore prayer. You see? Concern, prayer, concern. Guys, if, if you want to love somebody, pray for them. And then it says, For God is my witness how I long for all of you 
with the affection of Christ Jesus. So, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. And what? And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me. Okay, so so let's consider. Okay, what I want to do is take a look at um, a few verses that really v- reveal the heart of Paul. Okay, and that's where it says Philippians one eight. For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the heart of Paul. In Second Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, like nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. What brought Paul to this kind of compassion? Something did bump into Paul, but it was not the world. It was the risen Christ. Just as Scott talked about last week. Remember, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. A man of great zeal for the destruction of the church, but the road to Damascus changed everything. Check out um, Philippians chapter 3. For about a week, just kind of live there. That place is maturity. So yes, this world does bump into us, and the world does what the world does. But God, remember in Ephesians two one through four, you were dead, walking in the course of this world. But God made us alive together with Christ. You're not a dead fish. Open your eyes to how God is bumping into you within this day-to-day physical world we live in. Colossians 2.1 For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. What was the struggle that Paul had for the church? There was a variety of destructive distractions coming their way. There was Gnosticism, that special secret information. There was Judaizers mixing the law with Jesus. There was philosophy. It's a brilliant thought without foundation. It's logical, intelligent, it's reasonable, but philosophy has never taken anyone from the grave. Paul's struggle is for the heart and mind of the church. Paul is drawing them to a place. Look at verse 2. Here's the first point enabling you to live in a world that does what it does that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. What is that a picture of? Unity. Why does Bethel encourage life groups? They're the bulwark, a strong support, protection. Over time, I have grown to love each person in the life group I'm in. And here's a beautiful thing about understanding God's word. Don't miss the fullness of this passage. We're going to be checking it out later on uh, because it's in Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The world can't touch this, you guys. 
unity, the strength in unity. They say that the mark of a healthy family is how well it defends itself against conflict from without. See the correlation? This world bumps into all of us. Paul is bringing the church to a place of strength to contend with the patterns of this world. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. But to what end? Take a look at it. To reach all the riches of full assurance. Assurance. What comes to mind when you hear assurance? Security, peace, acceptance, freedom, stability. Oh, how beautiful it is to live in the assurance of salvation. Remember what John says? I write these things so that you may know you have eternal life. Mm. The world has a distorted view of authenticity. Authenticity is how they define themselves each morning when they wake up. Living true to what they believe or feel what they are today is to live in their authentic self. Nay, no way. God tells me who I am, a place I don't have to maintain, I don't have to create. There's security, assurance, peace. Living in who God says I am is authenticity. The riches of full assurance. Okay, now take a look at this. Keep going. Where does that come from? Understanding and knowledge. Understanding and knowledge. That's the key that unlocks stability. Remember, there are false doctrines strongly coming toward the church. So what's the difference between knowledge and understanding? Consider it. The word knowledge refers to information, facts that one gathers through education or experience. However, it takes understanding to live out what you know. Understanding, is, understanding apart from knowledge is incomplete. It's milk toast. And then there's knowledge without understanding. This is quite stale. This is where the many uh, seminary students graduate, take their position at pastor, Hopefully over time and experience will understand the knowledge they've accumulated. Knowledge is the catalyst for understanding. They got to have it. Wisdom springs from understanding, time and experience and awareness. Christians hide from nothing because we have been given a filter by which we understand everything. It says it. This is God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This Christ is in you, living his life in you. There is no fear, there's no doubt, no tension, no confusion. Christ, I trust you. You are truth, the way, you are life. God doesn't make us better, he makes us new new heart, a new mind. We have the mind of Christ. Jesus is the filter we send the experiences of life through. The world does what the world does, but God. 
Remember Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. We were walking as dead people, following the course of this world, but God. What we think is vital to how we feel within a world of instability. Colossians 2, 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What was Paul's prayer in 1.9? That they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Paul specifies the type of wisdom. Take a notice. Spiritual Consider James 3.13. Because again, there's a natural wisdom. There's a worldly wisdom. But James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom. That comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. Get this, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Sound familiar? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Does what the world present to you on a daily basis compared to what you have in Christ? 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. That's what we do. Life is where we live. And he says, and godliness. So pertain to life and godliness. That's behavior. Behavior is important. Why? We are reflective we are the light on the hill. We are God's ambassadors. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Man, what a privilege. You see, it's, again, it's not us. It's God calling us into his glory and excellence. Now, if we were in line with God's purpose and design, what effect would that have in our life? There are plenty of people with knowledge. They pursue it, but they lack understanding. Understanding is a gift from God by His Spirit. In 2 Peter 1.8, just a little bit down from where we just looked at, in 2 Peter 1, for if these qualities are yours, what qualities? Check out 2 Peter 1. We just don't have time. But if they are yours and are increasing... They will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I want to live. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted, that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He says we, were, we will no longer be ineffective or unproductive in our knowledge of God. Let the world does what the world, let the world do what the world does. Bring it on. It even says, you will no longer be nearsighted. Now, when I first read that, what came to my mind was 
that one was so preoccupied with themselves that they really couldn't look beyond themselves to meet the need of another. But actually, they are so focused on themselves that they have no assurance. Listen to what it says. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. We can be distracted, deceived, and deluded by our own failures. The world can distract us, Satan can deceive us, and we can delude ourselves by our own incongruence. Behaviors that don't line up with what we believe. And what does that create? What does that create in you? Guilt. Now in the world, that's a dirty word. But for Christians, it's a gift of God. Why? Because of where it takes us. Where does guilt take us? It doesn't take us to shame, defining ourselves by what we do, and then throws us into isolation. No, man. Guilt brings us to a place of confession, repentance, forgiveness, restoration, and back into community. God is amazing. And what he's given us is amazing. What does the world have? God even uses the brokenness and failures of our past for his glory and our good. In verse 4, Paul moves us to his purpose, Paul's heart. Remember chapter 1 is for the um, chapter 1 is for the purpose of chapter 2 verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Delude you with plausible arguments. How does that happen? I love this. The plausible is what uncertainty trips over. The uncertainty of life has certainty only in who God is in you. Christ in me. Deception works. It does so because the lie is where it sounds like we should be. The car salesman brings me to or from wanting a car to I need this car. Shame brings me from you did evil to you are evil. The world is constantly bumping into us with ideas, with trauma, the stress of bills to pay, getting ahead in business, family relationships. The world does what it does. What happens to us in life is uncertain. But there is a certainty we do have that is an immovable foundation in the midst of all the ideas and all the shipwrecks that come our way. A foundation. Colossians 2.4 I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. A child is fearful and uncertain. Freedom is not for the child. There is a freedom in maturity. Right? With freedom, there is a quiet confidence. Paul's goal in 1.28, to present everyone mature in Christ. In Ephesians 4, remember it says, he gave some to be pastors, teachers, to equip, equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human uh, cunning and craftiness and de deceitful schemes. Plausible? Maybe. No effect. God's word is not a shelter from the ideas our culture comes up with. 
Rather, it's an immovable foundation to stand on. It's coming our way. So what? So how do we build this foundation? In Colossians 2.5, it tells us, listen, for though I am absent from the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. What is Paul doing? He's affirming the church. Don't neglect the opportunity to affirm others in the body of Christ, what you admire about them. Who they are, what you see in them. And number two, how do you build a foundation? Live what you know. In Colossians 2.6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What a beautiful picture. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, again, what comes to mind? This is not a one in a hundred world religions where man is reaching up, striving for, trying to attain. No. God has given. Remember John? One, twelve. But to all who did receive him, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. Has Lord become a dirty word among Christians? Not when you realize who you are in Christ, what you've received in Christ, and the price he paid for your union, union with him. Now, you too will chorus with Paul as he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may Gain Christ. Now that is a proper perspective to engage with life. Colossians 1.6. So walk in him, rooted and, de- and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now Eric has already given us a pretty good understanding of what walking indicates. It's simply life, living our life. That's precisely what we've been talking about this morning, life. What we wake up to every day. Our walking is connected to something. What? Our understanding. Our understanding is connected to our knowledge, and knowledge is not a bad thing. We're all inquisitive. We want to know more of that which we love. And you can't live what you don't know. The activity of faith is and brings about maturity. In Psalm 119, this is us walking out our faith. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. In Luke 6.47, what does Jesus say? I will show you what the man is like who hears my word and what? Puts it into practice. He's the man who builds his house on the rock. Wow. The rock 
is simply putting into practice the words of Christ. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him. There's in him. You guys, if you want to study in Christ, that'll give you a, that'll give you a, a push. Walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Sure sounds like John 15 to me. Abide in Christ and you will bear much fruit. And verse 7, we're finally here, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is throughout the book of Colossians. You're going to notice that. So here's the only thing I have to say about thanksgiving. It will make your life permeable to God's presence. And that, God's presence, changes everything. When you have God's presence, the good life becomes inconsequential. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Interesting. What's the difference between giving thanks and being thankful? Being thankful is connected to your feelings and emotions. That's a good thing. But giving thanks is connected to the truth of God's word. Your circumstance does not determine your thankfulness. Life. We're in it. Thank God we're no, no longer of it. So how does the book of Colossians start? We looked at Jesus, an unshakable foundation, the one we are becoming as from glory to glory. The one in us, the one we are in, consider again how you will respond to a world that is bumping into you. And in conclusion, if you are tangled up in the lies this world so easily embraces, I invite you to the truth. God, who is simply inviting all of those who are weary and heavy laden, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to the one who says, my spirit testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God. Luke ten forty two. these are a couple of verses to motivate you out the door. This is Jesus speaking. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Many things in life are important, but one thing is necessary and eternal. What did Mary choose? 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I love that. 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh or according to the flesh. For the wages of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every word captive to obey Christ. 
And lastly, Isaiah 26.3, you keep him, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And there's four implications, and I'm just going to read them because we already went through them. And they're actually going to be up there. The world does what the world is. And when we think rightly about who God is and who he says we are, the world can do what it will do. We stand with Joshua. For as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And number two, the fellowship of believers is a catalyst for balance and stability. Step in. Number three, let me tell you what the man is like who hears my words and puts it into practice. And lastly, that's incredible, thankful. If there is one thing that moves a person from the knowledge of God into a relationship within that knowledge, it's gratitude. A worship moving us to God's glory. So, we thank you for your presence, God, your peace, your joy. We don't understand, and in that place, Lord, we are dependent upon you. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Amen.